wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys, and welcome to Wrestle Rant Radio for January 17th, 2019. I am Graham Gison Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. We got a ton to talk about here in today's show from NX the UK Takeover Blackpool last Saturday to Raw, SmackDown, and 205 Live from this past week. But first and foremost, if you want to check out new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single Thursday, you can do so not only on nextdaywrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You not only get every new show on Thursdays, but also every archive show dating back to October of 2013. So rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show on iTunes today. As for me, folks, you can find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. And on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash C backslash Cram GSM Matthews. So, as I mentioned at the start of the show, folks, ton to talk about from TakeOver, Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live. Do want to note this real quick, though. I was listening to Chris Jericho's Talk is Jericho podcast earlier today, and he was breaking down the entire process, the whole ordeal as to how he got signed on to do All Elite Wrestling. Um, he has since signed on for a three-year deal. They had the rally last Tuesday. We talked all about it right here on WrestleRant Radio last week with David Joseph talking about the birth of All Elite Wrestling and the week before as well with Jamie Lee Mack. Um, but I did want to note this too. Jericho was talking about how he came on to do the project, uh, why he's on board, why he thinks it's going to work, and all these other things. But he did note this one thing, which I thought was very interesting, that Jericho was almost an impact. Chris Jericho almost signed on to do Impact Wrestling, which should not come as much of a surprise considering that his good friend Don Callis is at the helm now at Impact. So, And also, too, Jericho has made remarks about maybe doing shows for Impact at one point after doing New Japan. I mean, obviously that was over in Japan and not here in American soil, but just the idea of Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho working Impact shows is really interesting to me because I never thought I would see the day um, Jericho would be in the impact zone. Now, granted, he would not be in Orlando, Florida, working the traditional impact zone, but working their um, Windsor, Canada tapings, Windsor, Toronto, Canada tapings, their Mexico tapings, their recent Las Vegas tapings. Um, That would have been real interesting, to say the least. He had mentioned matches with Sammy Callahan, Red Swan, Johnny Impact, Brian Cage, as all potential possibilities. So, maybe at one point down the road, maybe at some point, you know, years down the road, because like I mentioned, he is now signed on to do All Elite for the next three years, but did want to note that before we got started here today. But NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool from last Saturday, first and foremost, excellent show. If you missed anything this week, whether it be Raw, SmackDown, even 205 Live, or even NXT from Wednesday, I would absolutely, without a doubt, no questions asked, 
recommend you to watch TakeOver Blackpool from last Saturday. It was a tremendous show. It was so good, in fact, that I had to make time during my work schedule on Saturday to watch this show. That's how fucking good it was. I knew it was going to be a good show because NXT TakeOvers never underwhelm. They always deliver every single fucking time. Whenever it matters most, whenever the chips are down, TakeOver delivers no matter what. And the NXT UK brand has quickly proven they're no different either. The brand itself has kind of flown under the radar a bit since it was launched, you know, officially back in October. The tapings were back in the summer. It didn't land on the network until October, though. Um, You know, I haven't seen too many people talking about the NXT UK shows and, you know, stuff like that. It was great to see so much buzz and so much excitement surrounding the show on Saturday because it was a really, really good show. And watching the show, too, made me realize just how talented this group of guys and girls is. Um, They are really, really good. I mean, that was already evident from the get-go if you saw the early tapings of the NXT UK shows or the first NXT WWE United Kingdom Championship Tournament or the second one from last summer. I mean, it's been evident from the get-go, but really seeing them all in the same place, same time, after weeks being built up of storylines and stuff like that, they delivered. They delivered big time. Like, people I could see thriving on Raw or SmackDown, assuming the creative is there and they're not fucking buried or anything like that. But, you know, there's a lot, a lot of talent on this NXT UK brand. So if you haven't checked out a show yet, this is a good place as any to start. Um, Every match ranged from good to great to awesome, and even exceptional at certain points between the opener and the main event, which I'll get to in a moment. Yeah, this was a really, really um, terrific show. So we kicked off the night with the crowning of the first ever NXT UK Tag Team Champions. The tournament came down to the duo of Zach Gibson and James Drake taking on Mustache Mountain Zone, Trent Seven, and Tyler Bate. Um, As expected, this was an amazing match. Mustache Mountain really proved themselves to be one of the best tag teams in the entire world with their series of matches with the Undisputed Era last summer. That was an amazing stellar series of matches that I thought put them on the map and they've only been killing it since then under the WWE NXT UK umbrella. This was no different. Um, This was an awesome showing from both teams, not only just Mustache Mountain, but Gibson and Drake too. Uh, Gibson I wasn't exactly sold on when he first came into the scene, came out of the NXT scene as, um, you know, the challenger for Pete Dunne's WWE United Kingdom title. But he's really grown on me. I think this tag team with James Drake is easily the best thing for him. They have great chemistry. And, um, yeah, they proved that here. This was an awesome opener, great pace. The crowd was into it. This was tag team wrestling at its finest. This is the tag team wrestling I want to see on Raw and on SmackDown. Not what we currently have with AOP versus Bobby Roode and Chad Gable or the New Day versus the Usos versus the Bar for the upteenth time. So... Um, I thought this was a great way to kick off the show. In the end, it was Gibson and Drake stealing the victory to become the inaugural NXT UK Tag Team Champions. An ending that I wasn't expecting, but an ending also that I did not have a problem with. I thought Mustache Mountain, as many people probably did, I figured they would pick up the victory, make history, become the champions, and it would be this great feel-good moment on the first ever match of the first ever NXT UK TakeOver. However, that was far from the case. The heels went over here, which I think is a great call in retrospect because it puts Seven and Bait in um, rebound mode. Not rebound mode, but chase mode. Going for that gold in the weeks and months to come. So I think that's a great call. If that means more matches between these two teams, 
even better. I think it's only inevitable before Mustache Mountain becomes NXT UK Tag Team Champions anyway, but why, why rush it? Why do it now when you could have waited another few more weeks or months to get people really wanting to see them become the champions? So I thought that was a good call in retrospect. The match itself, nothing short of stellar, so great way to kick off the show there. Jordan Devlin was supposed to go one-on-one initially with his rival Travis Banks. He attacked Banks earlier on in the day um, backstage and then again before the bout here. So out comes Johnny Saint and his assistant to the GM, uh, Sid Scala. Uh, Scala? Scala? I don't know how you pronounce it. They come out, the authority figures of NXT UK, they say, we figured you would pull something like this. Banks is not clear to compete. We got you a replacement just in case. Then out comes Finn Balor. Balor trained Devlin, obviously. That was um, you know, known as far back as the first ever WWE United Kingdom Championship Tournament almost two years ago. Exactly two years ago, actually. Um, and then, uh, you know, we knew of their history and how Devlin kind of wants to break out from Balor's shadow. And he's been wanting to prove recently in NXT UK that he's the best of the best. He is the uh, the diamond in the rough. He calls himself the ace. Never bet against the ace. And that's been the case lately in NXT UK. Jordan Devlin has really grown on me as one of my favorite stars in that entire brand. I thought he was as you know bland as bread when he first showed up on the scene two years ago. But he's really come into his own as a heel. His in-ring abilities are second to none. His recent NXT, or rather WWE United Kingdom title match with Pete Dunne a few months ago I thought it was awesome. They had a great, great match over that championship. That was what really opened my eyes to how great Devlin was. Um, and he proved that once again here. I never really thought the outcome was in doubt. I didn't figure Balor would lose. I didn't think Balor would actually lose. Um, so although the you know drama and suspense regarding the outcome wasn't really there as a match, I thought it was great. Um, the built-in chemistry and history was only logical. But this was really about making Devlin prove, showing that Devlin can hang on Balor's level, that he can hang with a former world champion. And he did just that, Balor. You know, this was the Balor that we need on the main roster. This is the Finn Balor I want to see on Raw. Now, he had a great breakout week this past weekend, Raw, which I'll talk about momentarily. But this is the Balor I want to see more of on Monday Night Raw, the motivated, driven, innovative Balor. Because the recent Balor we've gotten on Raw and SmackDown, or rather just raw really for the past year or two has been pretty bland nothing really all that special about him and he does not need the demon character to get over or stay over or to be special although it does help and we should see the we should see the demon more often than we do um but this is the balor i want to see more of moving forward because the guy is great and if he's given the chance and the opportunity to showcase his skills and really show people how great he is then he shines and that was once again the case here. So I thought him and Devlin um, really hit it off here in the ring. Had an awesome match. Balor goes over. Devlin, more importantly, looking good in defeat. I thought this was successful on all you know, all fronts. And more importantly, the crowd loved it. The crowd went nuts for the uh, surprise of Balor showing up as Jordan Devlin's surprise opponent. So I thought that was great too. The no disqualification match. Between Eddie Dennis and Dave Mastiff. The bomber, Dave Mastiff, I should mention. Um, this was another real good match. Probably the weakest match on the show. But that's not to say it was bad by any means. I thought it was a good match. They made great use of all the weapons surrounding them. It probably would not have been as good without the weapons. 
especially considering where we are in the feud between these two. I think Mastiff has beaten Dennis once before one-on-one, so this was really his chance to wrap up the rivalry, you know, decisively once and for all and put Dennis in the in the rearview mirror, which he did here with a victory. But, you know, they went all out. It was hardcore wrestling. You don't really see many of these matches, you know, in the UK scene more often than not, especially in NXT UK. This is probably the first no-DQ match I've seen on, um, on NXT UK up to this point, so... With that being said, it felt special. Didn't feel like every other hardcore match you've ever seen. Mastiff, a guy for his size, he is incredibly impressive. Dennis is good too. I think he has a good character. Um, has those like Leo Kruger like vibes, but better. Mastiff, on the other hand, the guy is an absolute beast. He's got great size and even better agility. Um, he has real promise and potential. So keep an eye out for Dave Mastiff. The bomber is going places. But yeah, this was a real good match. Mastiff hitting his finisher in the corner to Dennis through a table. That ends Dennis. Cianara by. Great win for Mastiff as he continues to plummet, uh, or plow rather, through the entire NXT UK roster en route to becoming the WWE United Kingdom champion. And then we get to our co-main event here. Our uh, first main event of the night being for the NXT UK Women's Championship. Uh, Rhea Ripley defending against Tony Storm. This was a great match, too. Their first match a few months ago I thought was pretty good. Um, I thought it was great, actually, but it was held back by the fact that Storm was hurt. Legit hurt. And the match felt like it ended abruptly. And maybe Storm was supposed to win, but because of the injury, they changed plans. It worked out for the better, though, because Ripley has been fucking killing it as the top heel in the NXT UK women's scene. She has just been dominating left and right. Um, so I'm glad to see Rhea Ripley really kind of come into her own, become a breakout star, because it wasn't that long ago that she was, you know, a member of the Mae Young Classic. Not the second one, the first one. I mean, she was in the second Mae Young Classic too, but she initially arrived on the scene in the first ever Mae Young Classic in the summer of 2017. Very bland, but very good. You know, she caught a lot of people's eye, and then she kind of disappeared for a while, trained at the PC, and then NXT UK launched... And she immediately she immediately blew everyone's expectations out of the water. Um, and she was also great, too, in the second Mae Young Classic by beating everyone, making it, I think, to the semifinals and uh, doing real well for herself. So if Ripley ever escapes NXT UK and at some point, and I think she will, make it to Raw or SmackDown, I have a hunch she'll do real well for herself. Ripley is a great up-and-coming talent. Um, she just has it. Not only in the ring, I mean, a lot of people have it in the ring, but, like, she just has that, I don't know what to call it, the it factor, that unexplainable it factor that not many, if anyone, really has. Um, Only an elite few do, and Ripley is certainly among them. Like, for example, during the Mae Young Classic, when Tegan Knox got legit hurt and the match had to end and she had to be booted from the tournament because of that, Ripley, instead of tending to her fallen opponent, which... Would have been nice, but broken character. She instead ripped on Tegan Knox's injury on Twitter, calling her a baby and even, you know, photoshopped the image. Now, I think she went as Tegan Knox for Halloween this year with her, you know, the boot and all. It was amazing. Rhea Ripley just fucking gets it. You either get it or you don't. Rhea Ripley, though, she gets it. Uh, Tony Storm, what more can I say about Tony Storm that I haven't said already? I think she is a tremendous talent, too. Well on her way. 
to becoming a big star in the main roster. I could see her getting over in no time. Obviously, she recently won the 2018 Mae Young Classic as well. But in the meantime, she is the face of the NXT UK Women's Division. Now, having won the NXT UK Women's Championship, this was an even better encounter from them, from what we saw from them uh, a few months ago in NXT UK. Uh, the storytelling was there. Ripley really laid it all on the line, and it paid off. Storm as well, becoming the first, or rather, second-ever NXT UK Women's Champion. Uh, and this was real good. I enjoyed every minute of this. And then we got to the main event, Pete Dunne. Joe Coffey for the WWE United Kingdom title. Now, Joe Coffey, another guy that I had no real knowledge of, no real idea of who he was prior to the launch of NXT UK. Then I see him. Gallus forms. He has a few matches. And I'm instantly a fan. I am instantly a fan of Joe Coffey. I think the guy also just gets it. He's a great heel. He's very good in the ring. Um, I figured he was, he was a, he felt like a threat here to the title, especially with it being the first ever NXT UK takeover. Oh, do they want to do a title change in the main event to get people talking? I mean, the end of Dunn's historic, like, 600-day reign as WWE United Kingdom, uh, as United Kingdom champion, a reign so long that I don't think anyone in the modern era, um, like, comes anywhere close to having as long of a reign as Dunn has. Asuka went over 500 days as NXT UK or NXT Women's Champion uh, from 2016 to 2017, but that was about it. That was like 510 days, maybe. Dunn is well into the 600 range, and probably the longest reign of any kind since Hulk Hogan, like 25, 30 years ago, which is really saying something. And Dunn has really been defending the title left and right, too. It's not like he goes months at a time without defending that gold. He'll typically defend it, you know, every month or so, whether it be at an indie event or on NXT UK or on NXT. And he's had great match after great match after great match. Look at the people he's beaten while champion. Tyler Bate in a series of instant classics. Trent Seven, I know he faced at one point. Mark Andrews, Wolfgang, um, Roderick Strong, Kyle O'Reilly, Ricochet, Jordan Devlin, Noam, Noam Dar, Danny Birch, and now Joe Coffey. And I'm sure there's more, too, that I'm just not thinking of. Um, Jack Gallagher, I know, is on that list as well. Um, just Mark Andrews, I think I might have mentioned him, too. They're just guy after guy after guy. They just get Built up only to be knocked down by Pete Dunne. And the cool thing about Dunne is that the guy never ceases to deliver when it matters most. Add Adam Cole to that list too because Adam Cole is another guy who got beat by Pete Dunne about, about a year ago. But back to what I was saying. Pete Dunne is a guy that you can always count on for a quality performance. Day in and day out, the guy delivers. And he's only 25, 26 years old, which is pretty amazing. For a guy of his age... He's he's going places for sure. Um, he has his entire career ahead of him, but uh, he's already making strides. But the point of the matter being is that he never ceases to deliver when it matters most, and this was no exception. Him and Coffee went out there, had a fantastic match that went probably a little longer than it needed to, mind you. It was like 35 minutes. You could have shaved off like 10 minutes, and it would have been just as good, if not better. But, you know, in a vacuum, I thought it was a great match. 
They built to a more exciting second half. I was happy there was no interference from, from Gallus. No shenanigans. Just big spot after big spot. They fucked up at like one point or another. But beyond that though, overall, it was an outstanding affair. With great showings from both guys. Done in the end. I think um, breaking the fingers of Joe Coffey to retain his title, which I thought was a very innovative ending. Kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. But there were so many near falls up to that point where it could have ended at any point and I would have been happy, including here. So I had no problem with that whatsoever. But Joe Coffey having a real good showing here against the champ. However, it was not enough falling to Pete Dunne, becoming the latest victim to be beaten by the bruiserweight. But that wasn't it. The show was not over. So after Pete Dunne celebrated his victory, the graphic went up in the corner of the screen signaling the end of the show. That wasn't it. The show was not over. They pulled a Tommaso Ciampa here. And uh, Kevin Owens, who is notorious for this type of thing, where they put up the graphic on NXT, whether it's Ciampa or Kevin Owens, they always have something up their sleeve every time that little graphic goes up in the corner. Out comes none other then independent sensation, Walter. Uh, former Progress champion, a champion in PWG, I'm sure. Pretty much every promotion you can possibly imagine, this guy has won gold in. He is fucking good. Um, I had the opportunity to see him live about a year ago, year and a half ago, out of my first ever and only to date Progress show. Of all people, he faced Matt Riddle for the Progress or Atlas Championship or whatever it was called. Um, and it was in the main event. They had a fucking phenomenal affair. That was an awesome, awesome match. Uh, that was how I kind of got to know Matt Riddle, and which is why I wanted to see him in WWE. And now here comes Walter right behind him. And I know Walter did an interview a few months back with Stone Cold Steve Austin on his podcast saying that he had no intentions of signing with WWE or really NXT because he didn't want to move away from home. He didn't want to live in the States. He wanted to stay in Europe or wherever he's from, Germany, I think. Um, he didn't want to relocate. Well, he's got the best of both worlds now because he doesn't have to relocate. Now he, all he has to do is fly over to London for the NXT UK tapings like once a month. So that's easy money right there. And the guy's a big star. I'm sure they offered him a lot of money to come on over. And he did. Walter is officially a part of the NXT UK roster. And uh, he came across like a star in night one. The crowd instantly knew who he was, which is something that you would not have seen 10, 15, 20 years ago. Maybe in certain cases with a guy like a Chris Jericho when he first debuted. You know, like, even when Kevin Owens debuted, only, like, a portion of the audience knew who he was when he debuted on Raw. Granted, this is England. It's NXT UK. It's not an episode of Raw or SmackDown. It's a totally different beast. I get that. But still, the reaction that he got for a guy that's never been in Ring of Honor, for a guy that's never been in Impact... For a guy that's never been... I mean, I'm, was he ever in New Japan? I feel like he wasn't. But I might be wrong about that. I know this took place in the UK. I'm sure there's a lot of fans there who know who he is. But it seemed like everyone in the audience on Saturday night knew who Walter was. And I had a sneaking suspicion he would show up. Because I know it was rumored like back in November that he was NXT UK bound. So that was great to see. Him and Pete Dunne had their awesome face-off. They kicked Joe Coffey off the apron. They kind of had a stare down over the United Kingdom title. And that was it. The show ended. So um, if anyone, if there is anyone to take that title from Pete Dunne, I am telling you right now, it is Walter. That is not a bold prediction 
because I'm sure a lot of people are saying the same thing. But to be quite honest with you, I think uh, Dunn is a star. Dunn has done a lot to, you know, hold it down in NXT UK, and I don't think he can really move on to bigger and better things either in NXT or Raw or SmackDown until that brand is established. Maybe he doesn't want to go to the main roster. If he's ever seen an episode of Raw, I would not blame him if he didn't. But at the same time, the guy belongs on the main roster. But I get the feeling that they don't want to have him move up until they have him establish that NXT UK brand. A lot like Tyler Bate and Trent Seven. Otherwise, why aren't they more, you know, appearing more regularly on NXT or Raw or SmackDown? With Pete Dunne, though, I think he's done all that he can in NXT UK. He's beaten pretty much everybody. Pretty much everybody who has ever stepped up to face him. He's beaten them. And Walter's a guy who I could see taking that championship, running with it, and becoming the new face of this brand. Allowing for Pete Dunne to either step aside and do something else for a while, or to move on to either Raw, SmackDown, or NXT full-time. Either way, I think Walter is absolutely the guy to become the next WWE United Kingdom champion. The new champion, the first champion crowned since Pete Dunne won the belt since... Get this, back in May of 2017, I fucking graduated college the night that Pete Dunne won the WWE United Kingdom title. And I am almost done with Masters, my graduate school, and he's still the champion. That is amazing. (laughs) So, again, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, their feud develop. I'm sure that's where they're going with this, otherwise why would you have... Why would you have Walter debut here and not like stand up in the audience halfway through the show? I think they did this for a reason because they have big plans for Walter in NXT UK, as they should. The guy's a big star, literally and figuratively. So say hello to your next WWE United Kingdom champion, Walter. And that ended a fantastic show. I thought this was a very, very good takeover, even by NXT standards, and not only by NXT UK standards, but I thought everyone on this show delivered. Um, the main event was great. My favorite match of the night was the opener. So if I had to rank my favorite matches from favorite to least favorite, and that's not to say any of these are bad, but anyway, if I had to rank them, it would probably be um, the opener, the tag team title opener, the main event next, um, then Storm and Ripley, then Balor and Devlin, and then Dennis and Mastiff. Although every match was worth watching. The entire show is worth watching. So again, if you've never seen an episode or checked out NXT UK or the title tournaments that took place in 2018 and 2017 respectively, you're missing out. Be sure to check them out. The show is great. And this takeover really showed. It was a lot like NXT Arrival where the brand was already delivering week in and week out for like close to two years. Granted, NXT UK has only been around for a few months. But it was a lot, it was like the equivalent to NXT Arrival where it showed people that, wow, this brand is awesome. I need to see more of these guys um, on a weekly basis. This week's show only consisted of the dark matches. I mean, quote unquote dark matches that were taped before TakeOver on Saturday. It consisted of uh, Braxton Huxley versus Legero, Ginny versus Isla Dawn. And Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster taking on Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel. All three matches were good. The tag team match especially was great. Although I would wait until next week for any real fallout from TakeOver Blackpool. Overall though, two thumbs up. Can't wait for the next one, which I have no idea when it is. It could be 
over WrestleMania weekend. I could see them doing one every three or four months. My guess is in May. I assume May will be the next time they do it. Um, It would be fitting too because that was when Dunn became WWE United Kingdom champion. So like almost two years to the day that they hold another NXT UK takeover. And that's when um, Walter finally beats Dunn to become champion. I think that would be only fitting. But um, I do hope for this, though, because I am traveling to London for the first time since 2006 this summer. So for the first time in 13 years, I'll be back in England. And one of the things, really the only thing I want to do while I'm there, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but I'd be surprised if it didn't. I want to go to a WWE show. Uh, Not a WWE show, I'm sorry, a wrestling show. Any NXT UK tapings around that time would be fucking amazing. It's going to be in the middle of the month. I think I'm leaving the 15th of July and coming back on the 26th. So it's like a week and a half I'll be there for. If you see any shows in the area, please let me know. Um, whether it be NXT UK or Progress or Rev Pro or any promotion you can think of that's going to be in London, England, whatever, around that time, let me know and I will buy my tickets. Um, but speaking of tickets, a lot of shows coming up on the horizon. I am going to SmackDown in March. That is probably going to be my next show. There is an NXT Lowell House show coming up in February. It might be a bit too soon for me. Um, I don't know if I can make it to that show, but RJ and I are talking about what shows we might attend a little later on this year, so stay tuned on that front to see where else you might see me pop up in the remainder of 2019. From there, let's talk about Raw from Monday Night, a very newsworthy show. Even more newsworthy than last week's show, which was supposed to be like this epic reset of Monday Night Raw. Like, oh, Raw, the new era, the new year. It didn't feel all that different. Aside from a few key segments last week, it really was not that big of a show. This show, rather, I really thought sent the message that we're going to try to do things right. And whether it sticks or not is anyone's guess. I don't think it will. I'm just going off of how long I've been watching wrestling for. That's a measly 10, 11 years, which is nothing compared to most, obviously. But I'm just saying, from what I've seen, dating back to 2008 where they promised change, you know, it's like a new toy. They they get excited about it for a few weeks, maybe a month, and then they just kind of just, you know, stop caring. And then they just kind of give up and move on to something else and go back to the old status quo. Um, so far, so good, though. I mean, Raw does not feel entirely different than it once did. But, again, baby steps. On this show, we saw a massive shakeup of the Royal Rumble card, including the Universal Championship match, which was originally supposed to see Braun Strowman challenge the champion Brock Lesnar in a rematch from Crown Jewel and No Mercy 2017 and the Royal Rumble and this show and that show and this show, that show, that show. Like, I've seen Braun and Brock one too many times. I do not care anymore. I have also yet to see any good match they've ever had together, which is why I had no faith that the Rumble match would be any good. I talked about it here on the show with David Joseph last week, how their match essentially felt like it belonged on the kickoff show. With the addition of Asuka and Becky, Banks and Rousey, AJ and Brian, and more matches to the Rumble card, without a doubt, like, this goes without saying, but the match I was easily the least excited for was Strowman and Lesnar. Like, that's not even that's not even a question. But they changed it. So at the start of this week's show, 
Braun Strowman came out doing his whole Beastie Boy shit. Like, we've seen it before. It was no different than any other Braun, Braun, Braun Strowman promo I've heard him cut in the last two months. It was the same old shit. Thank God Baron Corbin interrupted him, which is a sentence I never thought I would say, but here we are. Um, Corbin interrupts him. Strowman goes after him. Strowman says that, um, or, you know, Baron Corbin said, oh, you know, that's my limo over there. And whatever the case may have been, Strowman got his hands on Mr. McMahon's limo. So Mr. McMahon says, hey, you better stop doing that. Strowman didn't give a shit, tipped it over anyway, destroyed the limo. And Vince, all he said was, you're out. Therefore, taking him out of the Royal Rumble Universal Championship match in less than two weeks. So what happens? Mr. McMahon determines, or rather makes, a fatal four-way for the main event of the night between John Cena, Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, and Finn Balor with the winner advancing to the Rumble to challenge Brock for the Universal Championship. Um, it was pretty obvious he would win. Cena and Brock have been there, done that, even at the Rumble. I mean, it was a great match, the three-way with Rollins back in 2015, but I have seen enough of Brock and Cena from 2003 in 2012, in 2014, in 2015. So thankfully, that was not the case. Um, I could have done without seeing... I can do without seeing Brock and Baron Corbin ever. Um, I do not need to see that match. Drew and Brock would have been cool, and that could still happen. That match could still happen, because I don't see Balor beating Brock, obviously. Um, You could have McIntyre win the Rumble, even if he doesn't win the Rumble. He could win the Elimination Chamber, like, number one contenders match or whatever, and then go on to face Brock for the belt at WrestleMania. That's still a possibility. Um, Either way, though, I think Balor in this spot is a great move. Because it's now or never for Finn Balor. I don't know what his plans are, whether he wants to go to All Elite Wrestling, whether he's considered it, whether it's just WWE thinking that it could be a possibility. No matter what the case may be, now is the time to start pushing Balor. Why they've waited so long to do so, I have no idea. The guy has been floundering for the better part of the last two years. He had a lot of momentum when he first came back from injury, right after WrestleMania 33. And then, poof, nothing. He brought back the Demon a few times. He had that great match with AJ Styles at TLC 2017. He had a few great matches with Seth Rollins. And that was it. He's... You know, known for great matches, but the maintain uh, the momentum is never maintained. He just keeps losing and losing and losing. And I think he won more matches than almost anyone else in 2018, with the exception like of, of of a few people, which honestly surprised me. But then again, when you consider how many of those like matches that he won were over the likes of like Kurt Hawkins and Jinder Mahal, does it even really mean anything? But nonetheless, uh, wins are wins, and he has been winning a lot recently. It was reported a few weeks ago that Balor was in line for a big push on Raw after beating McIntyre clean at TLC. He won the triple threat match on Raw a few weeks ago with McIntyre and Ziggler. He won that six-man tag team match on Raw last week, and now he won this. In addition to beating Jinder earlier on in the evening to keep his spot in the four-way for the main event. So, Balor's getting the real hard push right now. I don't know what they're trying to do. Because the fans have always been behind Balor, so it's not like they have to get him back over with the audience. People believe in Balor. Vince definitely does not. The comments that Balor made towards Vince in that segment halfway through the show, um, 
those definitely seem like a shoe. I have no doubt about it that Balor was shooting straight from the hip when he said that Vince does not believe in him. And I, I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that though. Because Balor has not been afforded many opportunities since coming to the main roster. Yeah, he got a world title match right off the bat. Yeah, he beat Roman Reigns his first night on Raw, but then nothing after he got hurt. When he came back, it's not like he was hurt a few more times and he's injury prone. He had one bad injury. He was out for five or six months, came back, should have been pushed as the top guy, and amounted to nothing. Hasn't even won the Intercontinental title. And again, he's not beating Brock. But I'm hoping that if Brock's matches with AJ and Daniel Bryan have been any accept or any indication, that Balor should get in a lot over Brock. And it won't be like a standard squash match. Because if they go that route, then all of this will be for nothing. To build Balor up, to beat Jinder, and then win this four-way, pin John Cena, get the endorsement, will all be for fucking nothing. Unless they do something with Balor, not only at the Rumble, again, he doesn't have to win. I don't imagine him he is going to win the belt. But they could always, you know, they could always have him get pushed after the Rumble in a meaningful spot on the show. We'll see. Is this a temporary thing? Or are they willing to push Balor at the level he deserves to be pushed at more consistently from here on out? That's my question. Um, the first, or rather second thing I tweeted after Raw this week after it ended, was as happy as I am with the finish to the four-way, I can't help but think that part of this was done because the company fears that he may leave for All Elite Wrestling. Now, someone did tweet me saying, oh, you know, Balor's been pushed for weeks now. All Elite was only announced two weeks ago. Bullshit. All Elite has been in the works now since, like, November. It was rumored, like, two months ago. So they definitely knew there were people looking to leave for All Elite Wrestling. They had to have known that AEW was going to come to pass. And it was not just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. It was, where there's smoke, there's fire, people. All Elite was bound to happen. It was like the worst kept secret in wrestling. Even WWE had to have known that there was a decent chance AEW could come to pass. So that being said, the idea of them pushing Balor now of all times, at the same time they're trying to push Apollo Crews, and this guy, and that guy, so they don't want to go to AEW, come on, it's no coincidence, same thing with the Revival, who I'll talk about more momentarily, because they've been in the news this week too, um, I, I can't say I'm surprised, that Balor is getting pushed now of all times, because they don't want him to go to AEW, now Balor strikes me as the type of person that might be like, you know, I'm happy where I am. I'm going to make the most of what I have. But at the same time, if he's going to get offered just as much, if not more, over an AEW and be pushed like a top star over there, like a big match with like a fucking Kenny Omega, which would be huge, then, or like a Chris Jericho, then why would he stay? Unless he had the feeling that he was going to be pushed right as a top star as he has been the last couple of weeks. So again, I'm all happy for Balor getting pushed. Don't get me wrong, I hate to sound like a whiner, but I just find it very suspicious, that's all. We'll see where it goes, we'll see where it winds up and whatnot, but um, again, I don't expect him to beat Brock, I don't think he should beat Brock, it'd be a great moment, it, it would be a great moment if he did, of course, I don't expect him to, for the sake of the road to WrestleMania and where things are kind of 
settling into place, I don't see Balor winning the title between now and WrestleMania. Maybe after Mania, he can finally get the run that he should have gotten a few years ago before he got hurt. But um, for now, though, Balor is just a stepping stone for Brock on the road to WrestleMania. That doesn't mean, though, that he can't go down without swinging. I expect him to have a great showing against Brock as long as WWE allows him to. And they don't book it like a one-sided squash match with Balor getting taken to fucking Suplex City for 10 minutes and then getting beaten uh, clean. Clean as a sheet. Brock can still win clean, given the size difference. I have no problem with that. But Balor should be made to look like a star. He's been begging for this match now for close to fucking 15 or 16 months has Balor. He's been looking to face Brock for a long time now. I thought this was the match that we would get at the Royal Rumble. Clearly not. I mean, last year, not this year. It came a year late, but it might be better late than never. So I'm looking forward to it. I like this a hell of a lot more than Braun and Brock. Um, I don't know if this was scrapped at the last minute or if this was always the choice. I have no idea why they would spend so long getting people trying to get people excited for Braun and Brock at the Royal Rumble if that wasn't the match they were going to go with. Now, at this point, Balor has his match. They're not going to take him out of that spot. I'd be shocked they added Braun back in. That would be dumb as fuck. Um, Just put Braun in the Rumble. Have him take time off if he's not cleared yet. Whatever. I don't really care. Balor and Brock should be a great match, and that rounds out what should be an awesome Rumble. I mean, the entire Rumble show, this feels WrestleMania-worthy. I mentioned it a few minutes ago, but... We have The Bar versus The Miz and Shane McMahon for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. We have um, Sasha Banks and Ronda Rousey for the Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch and Asuka for the SmackDown Women's Championship. We have Finn Balor and Brock Lesnar for the Universal title. And then AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan for the WWE title. And then the two Rumble matches, which were great last year. So again, if they play their cards right, this could be an early contender for WWE Show of the Year. And you know what? Momentum is on their side. January has been a great month for wrestling by and large. In addition to the announcement of AEW becoming a thing, we've had Wrestle Kingdom 13, which I did not get a chance to watch, but by all accounts, it, it, it was an amazing event, which should come as no surprise given the track record of New Japan. But nonetheless, we had Wrestle Kingdom 13, Impact Homecoming, which was a pretty good show. People do not want to give Impact credit, but by and large, it was a real solid show with a bunch of good matches. And then we had NXT UK TakeOver just last weekend, so if they can keep it up, and obviously NXT TakeOver Phoenix is going to deliver on the Saturday before the Rumble, but if they can keep this up, the Rumble may be, um, you know, one of the better shows of 2019, all things considered, and this could go down as one of the best months in recent memory for professional wrestling. But um, yeah, we have Balor and Brock announced for the Rumble as of Monday's Raw. Um, it was another reason it was a newsworthy show. was the crowning of the new Intercontinental Champion, Bobby Lashley. Yes, Bobby Lashley won the triple threat on Monday's Raw against Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins to capture his first Intercontinental title. The match itself I thought was great. Um, all three guys worked well together. I really came into the match not caring too much at all. The Ambrose and Rollins feud has been just mundane to me, to be quite honest with you. Um, really has not done a ton to get me excited for what they're going to do next. Early on, they did. Then Ambrose started cutting promos about fucking, 
you know, injections and vaccinations and people smelling. And then I lost interest. And then the TLC match happened and that match sucked. Their Falls Count Anywhere match on Raw this week was good, or last week was good. But I thought this was the best thing involving these two guys in some time. Um, It was Bobby Lashley, though. The apparent afterthought of the match ended up emerging victorious to capture the gold. And this may be, you know, I may be in the minority on this one, but I'm all for it. I talked about how big of a fan I was of Bobby Lashley on the show here last week with David. We talked about, ironically, WWE's lack of black champions and Bobby Lashley being fucking booked to look like a loser for the better part of the past year since he came back to WWE. And then he goes on to become the Intercontinental Champion less than four or five days later. So I found that to be comical, but in a good way. Bobby Lashley is finally getting his due. He was a big star over in Impact. He was booked like a beast over there. And it should be the same story in WWE. I don't know why they didn't do that from the get-go. Bobby Lashley is a guy that if you build him up the right way, can be an absolute dominant destroyer. Why they didn't learn from his run and impact, they probably just heard his contract was coming to an impact and decided to sign him without seeing what made him so great in impact to begin with. Because they have not done anything remotely similar to what impact did with him for the four or five years he was there. They just, I don't know, they've just been bucking him like a baby face and then then they gave him Leo Rush and he was bending over and they did the whole fucking live mic during the matches thing, which was annoying as hell. But they finally got it right. Leo cut a great promo before the match on Raw, acting all serious. Bobby Lashley, same thing. I like the pairing. I've always liked the pairing. They needed to tweak the pairing, and it seems like they've done that. So if they can settle on this act here and not go back to the goofy shit now that Lashley is champion, this is a real shot of working. So here's hoping it wasn't a you know just a flash-in-the-pan type of night where... Rush came off great, and then Lashley came off great. He won the title, and that's it. Curious hoping that this is not the peak. It's only the beginning, fingers crossed. Uh, but this was real good. I don't know where you go with him going forward. Ambrose doesn't have a rematch because there's no more, you know, there's no such thing as rematches anymore for the championship. Um, even a Lashley Ambrose feud, Ambrose's heel, Lashley's heel, I have no real reason to get excited about that at all, so no thanks. Uh, We've seen Lashley and Balor before. We've seen Lashley and Elias before. Lashley and Kevin Owens, you know, they had their little mini feud going on late last year before Owens got hurt. And in storyline, Lashley is responsible for putting Owens on the shelf. If you go back to October, um, that was when Lashley originally turned heel. Kevin Owens teased that idea on Twitter on Monday. I like that idea a lot. If they want to go with Lashley and Owens one-on-one for the belt at WrestleMania... That might not be a bad match at all. Um, so I would want to see it. Um, yeah, so Bobby and Owens would be a good idea. Maybe Lashley and Sammy. If Sammy's a babyface when he comes back. They need more heels than babyfaces at this point, mind you. But that wouldn't be a bad match either. Either way, Lashley as IC champion, I think is a good thing. And I'm looking forward to seeing what, he, what else he brings to the table in this role. Also on Raw this week, we got the official announcement of when we can expect the... WWE Women's Tag Team Titles 2 come to fruition, and it'll be at Elimination Chamber. Um, We're going to have a six-team Elimination Chamber match, three teams from Raw, three teams from SmackDown. The winning team becomes the first-ever WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. So like I've said before, 
I don't like the idea of women's tag team titles. I don't feel like they'll be booked properly. We'll see. I got to give it a chance, of course. Um, but I do like the idea of having floating champions because they just can't justify having two sets of those tag team titles without few women they have on both shows that are barely on TV as it is. So I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. I think it'll be a great match. If last year's Women's Elimination Chamber, which actually stole the show, it was better than the Men's Chamber later on in the night, if that was anything to go by, then the Women's Tag Team Chamber should be equally entertaining. Unfortunately, the rest of the segment where Bliss announced said um, announcement about the Women's Tag Team titles, it was a total train wreck. I don't know if they did that by design or what the fuck happened. But Alexa Bliss was interviewing Paul Heyman about what was supposed to come between Brock and Braun, so that meant nothing. Um, the whole This was a total waste of a Heyman appearance. This whole thing was just a massive disaster. Then Otis Dozovic came out there um, trying to flirt with Alexa Bliss. That went nowhere. That was weird. We saw them again eating pancakes, blending in pancakes with the New Day on SmackDown. That was weird, too. From the get-go, it looks like they're going to be a joke of a tag team on the main roster. That kind of sucks. But they weren't the only ones. We saw them on Raw this week. We saw Lacey Evans on Raw and SmackDown. She didn't say anything, but we saw her backstage. We saw her watching the monitor on SmackDown during the um, women's tag or I think it was Lynch and Royce. It was Becky Lynch and Peyton Royce. She was watching that on the monitor backstage. Um, so she appeared. Nikki Cross probably had the best debut of them all in the women's tag team match on Raw, teaming with Bailey and Natalya to beat the Riot Squad. Um, you know, she got a good reaction when she came out. I'm glad they're kind of keeping the essentials of her character with the wacky, you know, uh, camera shots and allowing her just to be herself, which is cool. So I like Nikki Cross and how she debuted on Raw this week. EC3, unfortunately, was the biggest disappointment of them all. I don't know where Lars Sullivan is, um, I had read that report that Sullivan had suffered some sort of an anxiety attack last week before Raw and flew home. The same thing happened before SmackDown the next night. So, again, I have no idea what's going on with Lars Sullivan. Um, it's a shame because I think he can be a big star in the main roster. I know that might be a bit premature to say that, but, you know, if the plans they were, you know, had lined up for him with and a few to the John Cena were anything to go by... The guy was going to be pushed right from the, you know, right out of the gate on either Raw or SmackDown. And also, they did announce, the commentary team did, they did make mention of this, that the NXT call ups will be appearing on both shows for the foreseeable future. And um, until they're officially assigned to one brand over the other. So the audience can get familiar with them or whatever. Um, EC3, like I said, EC3 should have really made a bigger impression than he did. Lars Sullivan, I hope, you know, he's still able to get called up at some point in the near future, maybe even at the Rumble itself. Maybe that's what they're holding off for. But EC3 made his debut in a picture-in-picture segment on Monday's Raw. So it was during one of the matches, maybe the Revival versus the Lucha House Party, and they were backstage, you know, there were a bunch of superstars lined up outside of Vince McMahon's office. There was No Way Jose, and Kurt Hawkins, and this guy, and that guy, and fucking EC3 is just standing there. Now, it was cool, aside from the fact he didn't say anything, and nothing came of this, so that was disappointing. 
Um, I don't know what the hell's going on there. So hopefully they can get him back on track. Someone was trying to pitch to me this past week that an Ambrose EC3 match might be happening at WrestleMania. I do not see that. I don't know why anyone would want to see that. I like EC3. I like Ambrose. That's not a match that really intrigues me. Um, it would be a good spot for EC3 to be in, but with nothing on the line, who the fuck cares? So, anyway, um, the NXT call-ups, not off to the strongest start aside from maybe Nikki Cross, and that's about it. So, hopefully they find something for all these people to do. Otherwise, why the hell did you call them up? I'm sure people, when they beg for change, um, and all the NXT call-ups and whatnot, I don't think they were hoping for a Lacey Evans sighting backstage, or a promo-less promo from EC3 backstage either. I don't think that's what people had in mind for these people. So, again, maybe time will tell. Maybe they'll, they'll get a bigger role on the show as the weeks go along. I couldn't tell you. I wish I knew. Um, but it is a bit disappointing right now just because they should be doing something, but they're just not. They're just not. Um, when it comes to... You know, NXT call-ups, you know, I want to see this guy on Raw, I want to see that guy on Raw. Thank the fucking Lord that it wasn't Aleister Black or Velveteen Dream in that spot. Could you imagine the outrage from fans if they had Aleister Black backstage just standing there, doing nothing, looking like a goof, while The Miz is walking backstage? What a random, what, what a waste. What a random segment for him to be a part of. What a waste that would have been. EC3 isn't that much better in terms of he's also a big star, but not as big as Dream or Black or Matt Riddle. Like, you would never see that with those guys. So why should EC3 and Nikki Cross and Lacey Evans be any different? That's what I was wondering. Heavy Machinery, you know, NXT does not have the greatest track record when it comes to tag teams getting promoted to the main roster. The closest thing they ever had to a successful tag team, aside from maybe the Bludgeon Brothers, was Enzo and Cass. And they fell apart within a year, and neither guy is either with, even with the company anymore. So, again, when it comes to tag teams and whatnot, uh, these people deserve better. Um, Heavy Machinery, the Lucha Dragons, uh, I could go on and on of the tag teams. The Ascension got booked to look like losers. The Vaude Villains went nowhere. It's just team after team. So hopefully these people are treated differently. The Revival were in action on Monday's Raw, beating the Lucha House Party to avenge all the losses they suffered at the hands of the current 205 Live stars under the Lucha House rules, or whatever dumb shit it was called. But moreover than that, they were in the news on Wednesday when it was rumored by, I think, Pro Wrestling, not not Pro Wrestling Sheet, Fightful.com, that they may be rumored to be leaving WWE in the foreseeable future, that they may be eyeing other options. Um, there was a rumor that something happened at Monday's Raw to make people think that they may be on their way out. And then it was rumored, I think by Ringside News or another source, that they did indeed ask for their release, request their release from WWE. As of this recording, I have no idea what's going on, but I would not be surprised in the slightest if the Revival decided to leave WWE. They have been booked like shit for the better part of the past two years. And honestly, it's refreshing. It's really refreshing to see someone get sick of how this company is fucking using them and leave. Like, very few people do that. Cody Rhodes was one of those people, and look how he ended up. I'm not saying everyone's going to be a Cody Rhodes. 
Ryback left the same way. He amounted off. He amounted to nothing and faded off off into irrelevancy. So I'm not saying everyone who leaves WWE is going to become a big star. Jack Swagger, no different. He left, but he was booked like a loser for so long that no one gave a shit about him once he left WWE. Plus, he wasn't that great to begin with, but whatever. When it comes to the revival, these guys are way too good to be continued to be wasted. Now, a Raw Tag Team title run might be in their future, but even if it is, it's going to go right back to bad booking once the rumors die down that they're AEW bound. Once they re-sign their contracts, they'll go right back to being jobbed out to the Lucha House Party and AOP and this team and that team. Why not just leave? Why not make a splash while you can? Tag Team Wrestling and WWE has never been more irrelevant on the main roster. I know it comes and goes, it has its ups and downs, but the Revival really should not be as badly booked as they are. Like, again, if you get a tag title run, you kind of fade away for a while, you come back. They had momentum when they first got called up. They got hurt, it sucked, but they've been healthy now for well over a year, and the company has done jack shit with them. So in that case, why wouldn't they just leave? Clearly, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks have interest in signing these guys. Clearly. Like, it's very, very obvious. Um, if the whole fuck the revival thing was any indication and things that both teams have tweeted out since then, it's it's definitely a mutual thing where they have respect for each other. I even tweeted out about a week ago, if the revival weren't in WWE and as big of a fans, as big of a fan as I am of the revival and want to see them succeed under the WWE banner, it's clearly not their time. They have to leave and show WWE what they've been missing out on by going to AEW and hopefully revitalizing tag team wrestling over there. Because if not, I just see them continuing to flounder, doing nothing. Crowds just do not care about the revival right now because they've been given no reason to care about the revival. Um, so again, this is all, you know, you know, this is all rumor for right now. Take it for what it's worth. Take it with a grain of salt. There is nothing confirming that the Revival are leaving WWE. But again, I think they would be a fantastic fit for all Elite Wrestling if they decided to go there. I'm sure the Young Bucks and Cody would love to have them. I know they did the whole fuck the Revival thing, but I'm sure it was only out of respect. Uh, When I talked to the Young Bucks about six months ago, I met them at a uh, Northeast Wrestling show wearing a Revival shirt. I bought the Revival shirt solely for that purpose, to bring back the whole fuck the Revival meme. They didn't even know I was wearing a Revival shirt until I brought it up to them. And they were like, oh, yeah. And they were, they were laughing about it. And they were like, yeah, we really like those guys. We only wish them the best. Hope they get utilized well. It's been rough for them recently. Um, I'm sure they would love to have those guys in AEW. I'm sure people would love to see the Revival in AEW. So hopefully we'll find out sooner rather than later than uh, about what their future holds in WWE. Whether they could be released. If they're on their way out. It certainly seems like they could be. Um, I think Dash Wilder recently um, filed a for a patent, for a, a trademark, whatever, for Forever the Revival. So I'm not sure if the Revival is a WWE name or if they just want that. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, but they were wearing the FTR on their, on their trunks and on their attire this past week, which, which I thought was funny. That's got to be a sign they're on their way out. Because if not, then it just... I don't know, it's, it's just funny to me. So, the Revival could very well be AEW bound. I'm sure they're not the only ones. It was rumored even a while ago 
It was rumored a while ago when AEW before it even became a thing that two stars from WWE would be looking to go there. It very well could have been Wilder and Dawson. Would not be surprised. So again, hopefully we get clarification in the foreseeable future. Um, but either way, keep an eye out for those guys. Their renewed television time is no fucking coincidence. Same thing with the Finn Balor thing. Around the same time that the news broke that AEW is a thing, or could become a thing, um, the Revival started to get more television time and started to get more wins on Raw. So again, don't be surprised to see these guys um, become Raw Tag Team Champions in the near future, if only because WWE would want to hold on to them and not you know, squander the opportunity to re-sign them you know, so they would they would have them win the Raw Tag Team titles. They did the same thing with Ryback a couple years ago. They had him win the Intercontinental title to convince him to re-sign. I hope they don't fall for that shit, because as soon as they re-sign, they'll go right back to being fucking buried in the undercard of the Tag Team division. At any rate, guys, that does it for this week's edition of WrestleRant Radio. I forgot to mention, too, Andrade Sin Almas is no more. He's simply Andrade. Um, we are going to wrap it up here. I do got to get going, but I did want to mention that. He is simply Andrade now, um, which is weird. But the match he had with Rey Mysterio was awesome. So watch that. I don't know why they shortened his name. Andrade Sin Almas was perfect, but whatever. Um, Almas and Mysterio was fantastic. So go out of your way to check that out from SmackDown Live. Easily the best match all week. Um, Humberto Carrillo versus Buddy Murphy on 205 Live. Good match, too. NXT Cash Isono versus Keith Lee. Good stuff there as well. I'm looking forward to Royal Rumble and TakeOver Weekend, which, speaking of which, Mr. Marcel will be back for the third time in three months. Um, you just can't get enough of him. He will be back in WrestleRant Radio to help me break down TakeOver Phoenix and the Royal Rumble cards on next week's edition of WrestleRant Radio. In the meantime, in the between time, though, find and listen to new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday, not only on NextDayWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, you know, Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, but also every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. So until next time, guys, have a great rest of your week. Prepare for a loaded Royal Rumble weekend coming up next weekend. Another loaded edition of WrestleRant Radio as well. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do a step, do a step, okay? do a